Well, I love Trader Joe's fruit. (laughs) How many of you thought I would say chocolate? Go ahead, show me. All right. Okay. It's true. I do enjoy uh, Trader Joe's fruit, uh, and maybe not as much as I enjoy their chocolate, but that introduction was already taken, so I'm going to go with fruit. (laughs) And if you come to our house and visit our kitchen, you'll find a wide variety of Trader Joe's fruit. Apples and pears, oranges and grapefruits, cherries, peaches, grapes, bananas, and it's all good stuff. Um, How do you know whether the fruit is good? Well, you look at it, you examine it. Um, You look at its feel, you smell it, you taste it. And thanks to Russell, we know that tomatoes are fruit, although not good for fruit salad. Uh, How hard is it to determine a, a good tomato from a rotten tomato? Well, everything about a rotten tomato, its look, its feel, its smell, its taste is nasty, right? Well, this is the overarching theme of uh, the letter we call the book of James. James is trying to let us know that genuine faith is recognized by a life of obedience that produces good fruit. How do you know whether the faith that you possess is genuine? You examine the fruit. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this letter we call the book of James. He was a prominent leader in the church of Jerusalem. He led the church through many hardships and persecutions. He led them with both wisdom and courage. James doesn't write like the apostle uh, Paul. The apostle Paul tended to address specific problems in specific churches, but James doesn't do that. He writes to any and every community of believers. And his letter to the Messianic Jews living outside of Jerusalem provides us with a a summary of uh, wisdom drawn both from the Sermon on the Mount and from the Proverbs. And his letter is full of short, challenging wisdom speeches filled with metaphors that can help us remember each speech. So if I were to say to you, the tongue is like a fire, right? You remember. (laughs) Tongue's like a fire. And what's the point of that? Well, it's very destructive. It can set a field on flame. Anyway, so lots of short wisdom speeches, lots of metaphors, lots of questions. Um, um, The letter from James uh, covers lots of topics uh, like trials and testing, the sin of partiality, good works, taming the tongue, wisdom, worldliness, boasting, patience, prayer. Some places the letter reads like a series of disconnected thoughts, and you can be left scratching your head wondering, do I, do I need to read between the lines here to find a coherent thought, a line of thought here? And the answer is no, you don't. Um, here's how the letter works. Um, in the first chapter, James works to establish the bi- biblical case for his main point that I've already stated, that faith is recognized by a life of obedience that produces fruit. And then the remainder of the letter considers several areas where obedience is necessary. And so the body of the letter is found in James 2 through 5, and there are 12 wisdom speeches that call believers to wholehearted devotion. And James writes to get in your kitchen, and he wants to challenge how you're living. He wants, to look, he wants you to look at the fruit that you've got there. Uh, and so the letter is designed for self-examination. He wants you to ask this question. Is my faith genuine? Uh, does my life show it? <clears throat> and as he asks 
as he writes, he asks probing questions, encouraging us to look into the mirror, the mirror of God's perfect law, and ask, do I need to change? Am I a doer of the word or merely a hearer? Uh, James encourages his readers to understand the, the, the fruit is, that our fruit, our evidence, is a life of trusting God rather than trusting ourselves uh, and trusting God even when it seems unbearably hard to do. Genuine faith is not a faith that hedges its bets. It's not double-minded. It doesn't try to rely 90% on God and 10% on our own abilities. Genuine faith is never faith in yourself uh, and what you can do. It's always faith in God and what he has done and what he will do. Uh, genuine faith only boasts in what God has done. So the text we're about to study <clears throat> uh, may be a little painful. It, it really only speaks of sin. There are three paragraphs, and each one of them is a different, different sin. So um, it, it may be painful, uh, and it may be designed by James to be painful. So what do we do with a passage like this? Uh, we, we listen. That's it. We listen. Um, don't spend your mental energy defending your past or rationalizing why this passage doesn't apply to you. Just listen. These are God's words of life for us. And don't despair. The life of faith really is achievable. The key to a, wholehearted, uh, a life of wholehearted devotion, uh, the life of genuine faith, was found, is found in, Gen in James chapter 3. It's wisdom from above. That's the key. This type of um, life requires wisdom from above, which is given generously to all those who ask. And the answer to all, our wi all the wisdom speeches in James, even the ones that we're going to look at this morning, is you need wisdom from above. And before we jump into a tech, our text, I want to clarify a couple things here. Um, so by standing here and proclaiming God's word as an elder, as Pastor Chris would say, um, my sermon is both affirmational and aspirational. So in one sense, I'm saying with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Or in other words, if you want to know what this text looked like in real life, if you want to examine fruit, look at mine. Um, uh, <clears throat> let me just say that as I prepared, I'm feeling, feeling the aspirational much, much stronger than the affirmational. But... Uh, Again, as I unpack this morning, as we look at this text, I'm going to try to use the word you instead of we or us. Sometimes we or us kind of blunts or deadens the word. So I'm going to, I'm going to preach to you, uh, speaking to you individually as opposed to us collectively. And that may be uncomfortable. Just know that it's just as uncomfortable for me to say it as it might be for you to hear it. Um, but just know also that I, I squirmed under the, the gaze of the Holy Spirit as I prepared this message. James wants us to hold up the mirror of God's perfect law and say, do I need to change? Uh, and as we hear the word, as we, as we look into the mirror, as we do that, let the Holy Spirit guide your conscience when determining what genuine faith and obedience looks like for you. Fruit that bears the righteousness, the, the, the life that bears the fruit of righteousness. What does that mean for you specifically? And now if you look at our passage, if you'll open your Bibles and look in your passage, the passage in front of us, James 4, 11 through 5, 6. In the ESV, it's, uh, it, there are three paragraphs there. Um, the theme that connects these three paragraphs are 
What are you saying? What are we speaking? How are you talking? So in the first paragraph, the words are the words that we speak against a brother. Uh, uh, that's found in, in uh, a brother or sister. That's found in James 4.11. Uh, in, in the second paragraph, it's the boasting that we would talk about in, in 4.13, the boasting of profit or gain. And then in the third paragraph, it's, uh, it's the weeping and howling for the miseries that have come upon us. And so these three paragraphs, I, I mentioned earlier that they, they kind of parallel the Proverbs and the Sermon on the Mount. These three paragraphs um, resonate with Matthew 12, uh, 33 to 35, where Jesus says, the tree is known by its fruit, whether good or bad, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good fruit, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil fruit. Um, additionally, in these three paragraphs, James will ask two similar questions to probe our hearts. These two questions are simply this. Verse 12, who are you? Or more better said, who are you? Who are you to judge? Uh, and then in verse 14, what is your life? Um, these two questions are meant to humble us. Implicit within these two questions is that you're not God. Stop talking like you are. <clears throat> also, the second and third paragraphs, if you look, they're, they're linked by an identical summons. The summons is, come now. Uh, verse 14, I'm sorry, 4, 13, and verse 5, 1, both start with that, come now. I don't know about you, but I can't hear the words, come now, and not think of Isaiah 118, where Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, though they be white as snow, though, be, though they be red like cris, crim, crimson, they shall become as wool, like wool. So in Isaiah, God is summons, summoning us to listen to his word, to consider, to reason, and repent. And it's the same summons that James is giving us. So what should we do this morning? We should listen. We should consider. <clears throat> we should humble ourselves. We, shall rep we should repent. So here's where we're going this morning. <clears throat> um, genuine faith requires wisdom from above in three areas, the three paragraphs that are called out in James 4, 11 through 5, 16. <clears throat> Here are the three ways that the self-centered heart displays its fallen nature. In James 4, 11 to 12, we see the arrogance that would denigrate others. In James 4, 13 to 17, we see the presumptuousness that would be master of its own wealth, master of its own life to get gain. <clears throat> and then in James 4, 1 to 6, we see this covetousness that hoards wealth and defrauds others uh, by what, from what they are due. Sin is always rebellion against God and his good designs. And the root of sin in these areas stems from a flawed relationship with God. So in our pride, we desire our self-interest more than we desire God. And it's only the humble heart of genuine faith that's dependent on God's wisdom and God's word that will produce the fruit of righteousness. So Bethel, I hope you see that we need the wisdom from above to help us, uh, to, to humble us to the reality of life, uh, the reality of our life. 
We need the wisdom from above to supersede our selfish and worldly passions. And we need the wisdom from above to produce the fruit, the sweet fruit of a humble heart. So with that as our introduction, let's, uh, let's dive into our text. Point one, proud hearts denigrate others. <clears throat> James 4, 11 to 12 says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil uh, speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and one judge, and he is able to save and destroy. He who, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? What does it mean to speak evil of another? It means to defame, to denigrate, to discredit a fellow saint. Bethel, the Bible tells us to regard each other as brothers and sisters, as fellow saints, as co-equals. We all have sinned and deserve God's condemnation and eternal punishment according to God's righteous judgment. We're all on equal ground before God. Suppose for a minute that you find yourself in an unresolved disagreement with a brother or sister. You greet a close friend or maybe your spouse and they notice something's not right. Something's wrong between you. Uh, something's wrong. And, and they ask the question, what's wrong? How do you answer that question? How do you answer? Uh, where, where's the line between telling the truth about what's really wrong, <clears throat> about how you're feeling, and speaking evil of a brother or sister? Where does sweet fruit become rotten? Uh, James tells us when we cross the line and speak evil of our fellow saint, we place ourselves in a position of judge. When you judge your fellow saint, you're putting yourself in the same place as the law. In effect, you're judging the law. What does James have in mind here when he, when he talks about the law? What law is he referring to? Well, we think he's likely referring to Leviticus 19:18, which sums up the heart of the royal law. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. How is speaking evil against a fellow saint speaking evil against the, the law? When you know what the law says, don't bear a grudge. And you deliberately decide not to obey the law and speak evil against a fellow saint, but rather choose to violate it what are you implicitly saying about the law? Aren't you, aren't you in effect saying that the law is not worthy of your obedience? If you say that, you're crossing, crossing the line into uh, the territory of the proud. When you speak evil of your fellow saint, you're in effect elbowing Jesus off his throne. You don't have authority to do that. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one judge. Therefore, who are you to judge your neighbor, your fellow saint? This question that James is asking us here, who are you to judge, is designed to test your heart in relationship between God and your fellow saint. Wisdom from above knows that the sins of the proud heart become the sins of the proud tongue. Examine the fruit. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are they defaming? Are they denigrating? Are they discrediting your fellow saint? Genuine faith, trusting God, Trusting his wisdom from above will help you see the line between <clears throat> telling the truth and speaking evil and not cross that line. Trusting God's wisdom from above 
will yield the sweet fruit of righteousness that produces a humble heart. <coughs> Point two. Proud hearts presume the future. James 4, 13 to 17. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? <clears throat> You're a mist <coughs> that appears for a little time and then vanishes instead <coughs> and vanishes. <coughs> Sorry. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. <clears throat> As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So what is the sin of presumption? <clears throat> presumption is forgetting that your life is completely in the hands of the Lord. None of us have final control over our circumstances and the outcomes of our life. <clears throat> James says that talk, talking like you're in control is arrogant boasting, and all such boasting is evil. <coughs> James is writing to people that act like Sunday belongs to God and the rest of the week belongs to themselves. There's no word about God on their tongues from beginning to end. They forget that their Monday through Saturdays are wholly dependent on God. Once again, wisdom from above says that the heart the proud heart, pride, be, be, begins, be, uh, becomes the sin of the tongue, boasting. Um, <clears throat> James is echoing Proverbs 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day might bring. Do you assure yourself that time's on your side? Do you plan as though <clears throat> personal ability and profit are the only issues to consider? Do you speak confidently of what you will do without regard for God? It's presumption to say that you're master of your own life, so that all I need to do is come up with a plan, and voila, it's going to happen. James asks, what is your life? What is your life centered on? Are your thoughts consumed by where you will live, where you will work, and how much money you will make? Are your thoughts consumed by money, making money, growing wealth, and protecting it? Wealth-centered living drives you from the true source of security, your true, true source of security in Christ. It leads you away from, the, from God and down the path towards spiritual bankruptcy. Wisdom from above says, get real, humble yourself. Your life is fragile and brief. James says, for you're a mist that appears for a time and then it vanishes, James 4.15. Peter says it this way, all flesh is like grass, and all glory is like the flower of the grass. 1 Peter 1.24. Now that I'm retired, Sue and I purchased both <clears throat> membership at both Longwood and Winnether. And this past spring, we headed to Longwood on Mondays and Winnether on Tuesdays. First it was the crocuses, then it was the daffodils, then the cherry blossoms, then the tulips, then the bluebells, <clears throat> the wisteria, the peony. Each week, we determined to get out to see the spring flowers before they were gone. Bethel, this is your life. Beautiful just like all of God's creation, but it's brief and fragile. Are you presuming upon future times which, for which you don't have any control over? 
There's two great certainties about the future. Number one, only God knows the future. And two, all of your tomorrows, like everything else, come from God's gracious hand. How serious is the sin of presumption? Presumption is a direct challenge to a humble life before God. <clears throat> it desires to take the reins of planning control into our own hands. And when you stop short of conscious dependence on God, James doesn't offer any qualifications of, of the word. He calls it evil. All planning apart from the reliance on God is presumption. It's arrogant to make plant arrogance that, that makes you think that you can live and move and have a life independent from God. This is the root of, uh, the root of this arrogance is pride, which is the root of all sin. Maybe you're wondering, does, does God require me to say the phrase, if the Lord wills, every time I talk about my future? Well, there's nothing magical about those words. And you shouldn't use them like some kind of protective superstition. These words are meant to be a sweet and comfortable reassurance to the humble heart of genuine faith. James isn't trying to banish planning from our lives. But only the sort of self-centered, self-important planning that ignores God. Good planning should never threaten humble, humbly walking with God. Wisdom from above simply wants us to acknowledge that God is sovereign over every event in our life, and wisdom is needed to know where to draw the line between a self-centered life and a wisdom-centered life. I'm sorry, a self-centered life and a God-centered life. So look at James 4.17. James concludes this paragraph on the sin of presumption by saying this. <clears throat> Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Did I mention there was uh, some head scratchers? How does this thought connect with the rest of the paragraph on presumption? James is saying that, <clears throat> that God-centered living acknowledges the frailty, and, uh, the frailty of life and dependency on God. If you forget your dependency and act in self-will, you sin by omission. If you forget to actively trust God and his wisdom from above, you sin by the sin of omission. James places the sin of omission in the same category as well-centered living. He places it in the same category as hardcore pride. Hardcore pride. He says, for him, it is sin. So again, he asks the question, what is your life? This question is designed to test our heart in relationship to God and ourselves. Wisdom from above calls you to consider your heart in relationship with God and your future. James says, examine the fruit. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are they boasting in your ability to prosper by your own planning and doing? Or do they reveal a heart of wisdom, a heart of humble dependence on God for your future? Genuine faith, trusting God's wisdom from above, will help you see the line between good planning and, and the presumptuousness that would be master of its own life for personal gain. It'll help you see that difference, the line, and not cross it. Trusting God's wisdom from above will yield the sweet fruit of righteousness that's produced in a humble heart. So the paragraph that we just looked at that talks about your future, and the next one that we're going to look at that talks about your wife, life, they both, become what, they both um, begin with this summons, come now. And James' point is living without God's, God at the center 
is going to not only impact your own life and your relationship with God, but it's going to impact the way you treat others. And this brings us to our, to our third point. Proud hearts covet wealth. James 5, 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded for their, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and you will, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures that in the last days. Behold, the wages of your labors who mowed your fields, which you've kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. James takes the wealthy to task. And maybe you're thinking, phew, I'm not wealthy. I'm off the hook. Well, let's take a look in the mirror. Let's, let's be clear, clear, though. There's no sin in being rich. James says the sin is in how wealth is acquired and how wealth is dealt with in our hearts. More than any other area of high risk, wealth threatens its possessors with coming misery. Chapter 5, verse 1. And it dulls our senses to spiritual urgency and the reality of divine judgment. Um, chapter 5, verse 3. All of our dealings with others, especially those that serve us, must be honest. <clears throat> are you hoarding your wealth and defrauding others? Okay, maybe there's not many of you here that, are, uh, that own a business, that have workers. Um, the question would be, are you making yourself wealthy at, at the expense of others? Are you defrauding your server, your stylist, when you tip? Uh, are, their families, are their families struggling while you indulge yourself on living for this life only? Do you have closets full of clothes that you never wear? Do you have good stuff stored in rooms or the garage or a shed or a storage locker? Are you feeding moths rather when you could be feeding the poor? That's what James wants us to ask ourselves. The letter of James to the church is one, in, in one sense is a letter about relationships, starting with our relationship to God. When you understand your sonship, that God is the source of all good gifts, James 1.17, then your relationship to people will have the proper perspective. You will not treat others with partiality. <clears throat> you will love your neighbors. You will care well for widows and orphans. You will deal fairly with those that serve you. Your, son, your sonship with God will make you patient and kind. Your neighbors will see and taste the sweet fruit of righteousness that's produced in a humble heart. Genuine faith in who God is and what he's done and what he will do will produce a fruit, the fruit of a holy lifestyle. Is the inward reality of your faith producing outward outward expressions of obedience and righteousness. James shows us the two ways that we tend to live when we place ourselves on God's throne. <clears throat> Either one, by presuming, which is the paragraph that we looked at earlier, or two, by hoarding the paragraph that we're, gonna look, that we're looking at now. Wisdom is needed to know, to know where to draw the line between a self-centered life and a God-centered life. And for me personally, the two areas that I've wrestled with are saving for the future 
and spending on personal enjoyment. Uh, things like taking vacations and entertainment and buying toys or things like that. I'm going to get personal here to make this thing practical. Several years ago, when Pastor Chris preached through the Gospel of Luke, he preached on the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. Jesus introduces that parable by warning in chapter 12, verse 15. Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for your life, one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. <clears throat> the parable describes the heart of a rich farmer whose land produced plentifully, so plentifully that he said to his soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But that night his soul was required of him by God. And Jesus concludes that paragraph, that parable, <clears throat> with these words. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Not rich towards God. Those words caused me to look into the mirror and ask, do I see a soul that is rich towards God? I challenged myself to determine <clears throat> whether the total amount that I was giving was greater than the total amount that I was saving. Whether the total amount that I was giving was greater than the total amount that I was spending on personal enjoyments and vacations and entertainment. Specifically, I wanted to know, when I look at my budget, what percent goes to savings, what percent goes to giving, and what percent goes to living that good life? I wanted to know where I had drawn the line. I wanted to know whether or not I could do more for the people that God has drawn to help, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. I wanted to know if I could give more even if that meant that we would spend less on ourselves and save less, on our future, spend, save less for our future. Trusting the God who, who alone knows the future and looking into, his, into the figurative mirror, Sue and I have been able to, to be able to better see where to draw that line when it comes to spending, saving, and giving. And trusting God's wisdom from above, we've been able to give more to organizations like the Compassion International and their child sponsorship program. Um, <clears throat> That, help, that is designed to lift children out of extreme poverty. We've been able to float microloans to small businesses owned and operated by Christians in third world countries through an organization called Hope International. And we've been able to support kinship, foster, and adopt, adoptive families in Newcastle County through a Door of Hope, Foster Well, and the Family Hope Coalition. There are many other ways to help the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner by both giving and serving. You can help Dick uh, and Ruth Fidel and the team that comes from Bethel that leads worship and serve in the Sunday breakfast mission. You can help your community group lead the worship service at the Mary Campbell Center. You can give to the Foster and Adoption Fund or join Tracy, Tracy Ward and her team of volunteers that delivers items to support these kinship, adoptive and foster families in Newcastle County. You can help Joe Healy uh, with his ministry to the Green Beret Project that meets here at Bethel on Mondays and Friday evenings. Okay, by now you might be overwhelmed, so let me just stop and say that every line of wisdom is drawn differently for each of us. <clears throat> We're all in different seasons of life, and what you're called to do in each season is between you and God. What I'm challenging you to do this morning is take time, stop, look in the mirror, and let the Holy Spirit guide your conscience and then ask yourself, do I need to change? Wisdom from above says wealth can become an idol and can lead to double-mindedness, trying to keep one foot in the kingdom 
and one foot in the world. <clears throat> James encourages his readers to understand. I'm sorry, jumped ahead. Wisdom from above removes the fa- facade of wealth and exposes the painful reality that riches are fragile like a flower. Wisdom from above says, if God is generous towards me, then I can be fully committed to God and in turn be generous towards others. Where are you placing your trust? James reminds us that trust in riches, garments, gold, silver, will be of no value in the last days. Instead of being proud and reveling in riches, with wisdom from above, you must strike the right balance between prudent saving, sinful hoarding, and generous giving. Look at James 5, 6. James concludes this paragraph on the sin of covetousness by saying, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Hmm. (laughs) Another head scratcher. How does this thought connect with the rest of the paragraph on covetousness? James is saying this. You must constantly keep in front of you that love of money is a betrayal of Christ. In Matthew, well, when Jesus met Paul, Saul, on the Damascus Road, and he uh, talked to him about, uh, when, he, when he stopped him on the Damascus Road, he said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting individuals? He said, why are you persecuting me? <clears throat> and in, in Matthew chapter um, 25, 31 to 46, Jesus says there, what you did or didn't do for the least of these, you did or didn't do for me. When we do or don't do, whatever we do or don't do, the final judgment here in Matthew 25 is going to be reflective of whatever we did or didn't do, not just for our brothers and sisters, it's reflective of what we did for Christ. He says, whatever you did or didn't do, you did it for me or did to me. The love of money, your love of money, your sin of covetousness was responsible for the condemnation and murder of the righteous person. And because the truly righteous person did not resist and was condemned and murdered on our behalf, we have the assurance that we can stand before God's final judgment wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wisdom from above calls you to consider the heart, your heart in relationship with God and your wealth. Examine the fruit. Listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are you weeping and howling uh, for the miseries that are coming upon you? Or do your words reveal a humble heart of dependence on God for your wealth? Genuine faith, trusting God for, for wisdom from above, will help you see the line between being rich towards God and, and a covetousness that hoards wealth and defrauds others. And it'll help you not cross that. Trusting God's wisdom from above will yield the sweet fruit of righteousness that's produced in a humble heart. Like I said, James writes to get into our kitchen. He wants to challenge how we live. He wants us to examine our fruit. He encourages us to gaze into the mirror and ask, do I need to change? So in conclusion, these hard warnings from James are a mercy from God. Come now, Bethel. Humble yourselves, confess your pride, submit yourselves to God. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is 
is encouraging his readers to understand the evidence or fruit of genuine faith is a life of trusting God rather than yourself. He teaches that genuine faith, the genuine Christian faith requires a radical break from sin, the sin of speaking evil against our brother, the sin of presuming, and the sin of boasting on our future, uh, the sin of covetousness that hoards and defrauds others of what they are due. James tells us that the antidote for all of that to that self-willed, proud heart, the heart that's determined to satisfy its sinful nature, the antidote to all that is wisdom from above. Um, James 3, 7, uh, 17 and 18 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and, and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Does it sound familiar? Jesus is from above. Jesus is pure and holy. Jesus is gentle and open to reason. Jesus is full of mercy and good fruit. Jesus is God's wisdom from above. And the more our heart is fixed on Jesus and nothing else, the more our words will resemble wise speech. Before you speak evil against a fellow saint, before you plan for your future, before you decide what to keep and what to give, hit pause and ask yourself, is this wisdom from above? Is what I'm about to do pure, peaceable, gentle, submissive, merciful, fruitful, impartial, and sincere? Genuine faith, trusting God's wisdom from above, will help you see the line between humility and pride and not cross it. Trusting God's wisdom from above will produce the sweet fruit of a humble heart, fruit that's sweeter than anything Trader Joe's has to offer, even the fruit covered in dark chocolate. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, do you need this wisdom from above for your growth and maturity? James 1.5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God isn't stingy with wisdom. He doesn't begrudge you for asking. He's delighted at your request and gives in abundance to all who come and ask in humble dependence. Are you here today and you're not a believer? Are you here today and not trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Trusting in your salvation from God's wrath on you because of your sin? Uh, We are very thankful that you're here today. And the greatest thing that we can offer you today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news is simply this. We are all sinners. We have all sinned and rebelled against God. We, we all, because of our sin and rebellion, are estranged from God and deserve his good and righteous judgment. Yet despite our sin and rebellion, God still desires a relationship with us. Jesus, who never sinned, took the just judgment of God on the cross for all those who repent of their sin and trust him for their salvation. God is inviting all people into a new family centered on Jesus. God's word assures you that if you humble yourself and turn by turning to the cross in repentance and faith in Jesus, you will find salvation and eternal life in him and you will be reconciled to God. Have you done this? If you haven't, Will you respond this morning to God's summon? Come now, 
Humble yourself, confess your sin, repent of your rebellion, place your faith and trust in Jesus and his work of salvation for you on the cross and be reconciled to God. Would you like to know more about what it means to be reconciled to God through his son Jesus? There's members all around here that would be more than happy to answer your question and I'll be up here after the service if you'd like to speak to me. Let's pray.